As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you as we do each week to join us here in this place this morning. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Last week I went to see a stand-up comedian, which is always an iffy proposition. There's nothing worse than seeing a stand-up comedian who's not doing well. But this guy was doing great. We were having a great time. I was laughing along with the crowd. But then he started to make fun of the Bible. Now, making fun of Christians and our wacky beliefs is old hat for comedians. It wouldn't ordinarily bother me. And this didn't really either, at least not at first. Even when he literally pulled a Bible out of his pocket and started reading from it and mocking it, I wasn't really bothered. But then he said that he was going to read us a crazy Bible story that he'd never heard before. A story about Jesus cursing a fig tree. How many of us in the audience, he wondered, had ever heard this story? There was a light smattering of applause. Uh, That's enough, he said. I just want you all to know I'm not making this up. They are, but I'm not. But I'm still not offended. Everything's fine. Then he reads the story from Mark chapter 11, the story that we just read this morning, of Jesus cursing a fig tree... And he begins to mock that. Like, if Jesus is going to behave this way, he really deserves to end up nailed to a cross, doesn't he? You can't go around acting like that, Jesus. Poor innocent fig tree. It would have had figs in just a couple weeks. You want fruit out of season, Jesus, you go to Whole Foods. See, it's pretty funny. You can't go around smiting innocent shrubbery. This is pretty funny stuff, but now I'm angry. But here's the thing. I wasn't angry at him. I was angry at myself. Because if he had called out into the crowd, is there a pastor in the house? And had invited me on stage and handed me the microphone and asked me to explain in that moment Jesus' cursing of the fig tree, I wouldn't have known what to say. So I did what I hope you'll do when confronted by someone louder and more confident than yourself. Someone who says the Bible is ridiculous and silly and must therefore be all made up. I came right home and got to work. I studied the passage and came to a place by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit where I understand what's going on and see how it points to the good news for sinners. Now, I hope you'll have some grace and mercy for me here. I have studied this passage before, but the interpretation wasn't there in my brain when I needed it to be. I needed to be reminded, and I suspect that that might be true for some of you. So this morning, I decided to share that interpretation and understanding and the good news to which it points, if not for the first time for you, at least as a good reminder. 
because this wasn't our lectionary assigned reading. We have a three-year cycle of suggested readings. Our ACNA lectionary, the three-year schedule, does not schedule this reading ever. I looked also at the Revised Common Lectionary used by many of the mainline churches like the Roman Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, some Lutheran and Methodist churches. It's not there. I think that the thought is that this reading is so difficult that it gets ignored entirely. But we are not going to do that. This is the word of God, and we are going to allow it to speak to us, to address us, This morning, we're going not to leave interpretation to stand-up comedians. Now, I should be fair, uh, many clergy in the ACNA and elsewhere preach on texts other than the suggested readings week by week. I have a personal friend, in fact, in the ACNA who very recently preached through the Gospel of Mark with his congregation. He would have addressed this text. Faithful preachers have indeed been addressing this text for generations. In fact, while I was doing my own study, I found just such a sermon from the great preacher Alistair Begg of Parkside Church outside Cleveland, Ohio. This sermon, in fact, owes a lot to his sermon, and I commend him to you. So having said all of that, what are we to make of this admittedly strange story? Jesus apparently is hungry and sees from a distance a fig tree in leaf. He goes over there to see if it has figs, finds that it doesn't. Remember, it's not the season for figs. And then he curses it so that it will never bear figs again. And the next day, when he and the disciples walk past the tree again, they see that it has indeed withered away and died. And when his attention is drawn to it, Jesus admonishes the disciples, at least in the King James version that the comedian read, to fear God. Jesus, look, the fig tree's withered. Fear God. Now, it's weird, admittedly. And it's extra weird because my first reaction to the story, like the comedians, has to do with the tree. Maybe yours does too. I mean, it's innocent, right? It's not even time for figs. Jesus may be hangry here, but why does he have to take it out on the tree? But I think that if we're thinking about the tree, we're missing the point of the story entirely. And I think what's happening there is that we, raised with 20th and 21st century environmentalism, are treating the tree as a character in the story, like it has feelings, like the story might be about the tree, as though it's a person. It's too bad, we think. What did that tree ever do? I mean, innocent and guilty are personal categories. But to first century hearers and readers, a tree isn't a person. It doesn't have feelings. It's not guilty or innocent. It's a tree. So this is the first thing to know and will help us to understand this story. The tree is not the center point here. The tree is a prop in Jesus's story. It's the opportunity for Jesus to make a point. So the story about Jesus cursing a fig tree is not about what a fig tree and what it has or has not done. This story is about Jesus and what he will do. The second thing to know about this story and the thing that will ultimately be the thing 
that helps us to understand it is that this story bookends another story, a much more famous story, Jesus' cleansing of the temple. Let me lay out a quick outline for you of Mark chapter 11. In verses 1 through 11, we read about Jesus triumphantly entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So there's that. During the comedian's show, I completely forgot that this incident happens during Holy Week. Then in verses 12 to 14, part of our reading this morning, they're about the next day, Monday. It's Monday morning of Holy Week when Jesus curses this fig tree. Then verses 15 to 19, still on the same day, Jesus and his disciples go to the temple and they find it turned into a marketplace. Many of you will know that story. It's crowded with money changers and vendors selling animals to the crowds of people preparing to make their sacrifice. And Jesus, righteously angry, wrecks the place, turning over the tables and chairs, preventing anyone from carrying anything through the temple. Is it not written, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and scribes hear Jesus say this and begin to think about ways to destroy him. Mark says that they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And then, only then, after that episode, beginning in verse 20, do Jesus and the disciples leave the next morning, Tuesday of Holy Week, and pass once again by the fig tree and see that it has withered and died. This is how we will make sense of this weird story. By intertwining them like this, Mark wants us to see. He's putting up a giant neon sign that these stories are related. He wants us to use Jesus' cleansing of the temple to interpret and understand his cursing of the fig tree. And when we do that, we'll see that these are two stories making the same point. A point about God's judgment, which foreshadows God's plan of redemption in Jesus. So let's look at these two stories. When we do, we'll see that there's some pretty striking similarities between them. The temple, like the fig tree, appears to provide something, but upon investigation does not deliver on its promise. The tree is obvious. It's got leaves but no figs. It looks from a distance like it will provide sweet fruit. Upon closer inspection, though, it's only got bare branches and leaves the person who came to it for nourishment hungry. In the same way, the temple is the center point of Jewish religious life, the place where the people come to atone for their sins, receive absolution from God, at least That's what it looks like. But when you get up close, it's a den of robbers. That's what Jesus calls it. People buying and selling merchants, making a profit off the people's devotion. The very nations who are supposed to be able to get into this house of prayer probably can't even get in the door for all the irreligious crowd and hubbub. People want to meet God. And the temple, from far away, looks tailor-made 
to that purpose. But because of what's going on there, people often leave unsatisfied, hungry. Again, what looked like a place of fruitfulness has turned out to be barren. And what happens? In both stories, Jesus wreaks havoc, enacting the judgment of God. In the more familiar of the two stories, Jesus brings the judgment of God down on the people in the temple courtyard, turning over tables, righteous rage. And remember, just two chapters later in Mark 13, he predicts the destruction of the whole thing. Do you see these great buildings, he says? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Even working at its best, which it definitely wasn't, the temple could never finally and forever forgive sins. The people have to bring a new sacrifice every year, year after year. The whole thing, and this is what the book of Hebrews is all about, the whole system is going to have to come down. Jesus brings the judgment of God down on the fig tree, too. He tells it that no one will ever eat fruit from it again. And the next day, when the disciples exclaim that it has withered, he tells them to fear God, believe in the power of God. So what is up with these combined stories, these conjoined stories? How are they good news? And here's the answer, what I will be ready to say the next time a comedian makes fun of Mark chapter 11. These are twin, 3D, enacted, happening in the real world parables. They're parables. And when we think of Jesus' parables, we normally think of stories that he makes up in order to make a point. The Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, the 11th Hour Workers, and so on. But these two stories work in the exact same way as those stories do. They're parables, but they're acted out in real life before the disciples' eyes. That's why the fact that it's not the season for figs doesn't have anything to do with the meaning of the story. The supposed guilt or innocence of the tree is utterly beside the point. The fact that it's not quite fig season yet just makes the tree in the perfect spot for Jesus to tell his parable, to preach his sermon. To make his point. This is a story, a parable about the judgment of God falling on those who claim to provide what people need, but then withhold it. This tree looks like it's going to provide fruit, but doesn't. The temple is supposed to connect people to God, but doesn't. And yet, There is good news, even here, even in these twin stories of judgment. They point, both of them, to redemption. I want you to walk through this with me. Jesus, in his curse, reverses the natural order of what's going on with the fig tree, right? It's supposed to be growing and flourishing. It's almost the time for figs. He destroys it. It withers completely overnight. 
Jesus, in his cleansing, upends what was normal daily life in the temple, too. But he's not done. It doesn't stop there. Remember that in addition to telling the disciples that it will all come tumbling down, he tells them that in three days, he will rebuild it. But he's talking about his body. At the fig tree and in the temple, Jesus brings to death what otherwise seemed alive. The tree was covered in leaves and the temple bustled with activity, but not after the judgment of God. God's judgment lays waste. This should be sobering news to sinners like us who, like the fig tree, fail to bear the fruit that God has called us to bear. The parables of the fig tree and the temple cleansing happening in real life show us that God's judgment is and will be poured out on unrighteousness. That God's judgment lays waste to sin. But then, Jesus intercedes. Just a few days after these events, remember, this is holy week. Just a few days later, God's judgment will lay waste to his own son. On the cross, on Friday of this same week, Jesus will, in his flesh and by his sacrifice, complete the story of redemption. He will become sin, bearing the judgment of God in his body, and once again, reversing the natural order of things. He will bring eternal life out of death. Like the wrath of God that was poured out on the unbelieving Egyptians at the Exodus, yet passed over the homes of those Israelites who had painted the doorposts with the blood of a lamb, The wrath of God is poured out on the fig tree and on that temple. But on account of Christ, it will pass over you. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the temple cleansing and the cursing of the fig tree in reverse. Jesus is the tree that bears good fruit, nourishing those who come to his table. Jesus is the real temple, the one that actually provides what it looks like it should, a sacrifice that lasts, that can actually and finally atone for sin and grant the believer, the redeemed sinner, eternal life. In Christ, by faith, you are made right with God. On your own You are a fig tree with no figs, a temple with no forgiveness, death where there should be life. On your own, you deserve judgment to be tossed out of God's house like those money changers. But Jesus has intervened. He has borne that judgment in your place. The natural order of things is reversed. He, the sinless one, was made sin and was for a moment abandoned by God. You, the sinful one, are made 
on account of his finished work to be the righteousness of God. In Christ, life has overcome death, the tomb is empty, and you, a sinner, are reconciled to God forever. Amen.